Hey, this is the Art Confessions with Danny and Diane, and every week you're going to hear us talk about all kinds of things in the art world. Hope you enjoy. You'll hear our opinions, our thoughts, and everything in between. Stay tuned. Oh my God, I didn't realize that you, that you came on. <laughs> well, I accepted the call. <laughs> no, but I... <laughs> it's because I was reading something and I'm like, la, 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 la. <laughs> you just, all of a sudden I hear, Ooh. A little creepy. It's a little yeah, creepy. A little, a little bit. <laughs> How are you? Not bad, you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm very full. I just ate so much of the chocolate zucchini bread I made today. Mm, I need I need to bake something too. I feel like I, I should I, bake something. I think it's a very relaxing thing to do. And it's just like the most, it's like cathartic a little bit. Honestly, it really is. And I like the smell. I just love the smell of the baked goods. Like once. Oh my God. You know, when I make banana bread and it's been cooking there for an hour and it's just the smell. It's fantastic. <laughs> I agree. I agree. No, it's true. I like honestly, uh, nothing better. Cookies, banana bread, even like a focaccia in the oven. Very happy with that, too. Mm, I haven't made that in a while. Oof, so good. But uh, yeah, no, today I, I was feeling glum, but like. I'm like in paradise, so I'm like, okay, what am I supposed to do? I bought cake box, the box cake, cake box. Yeah, the the cakes in a box, basically. Essentially, yeah. And uh, basically what I did is I I made the cake, but instead of like adding eggs and oil as they recommend, I add like zucchini, I added chocolate in it, I added uh, applesauce instead of the oil and... Mm. like healthy-ish but not really <laughs> it's like the healthier version of something that's not healthy <laughs> exactly exactly this is fantastic if you have a picky eater at home like you put z- zucchini in there no one knows it's just more moist it's wonderful so the topic for today yes the topic, what is the topic um inspiration versus hard work Mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you that I'm really excited about this one. <laughs> <laughs> why are you excited, Daniela? <laughs> I'll tell you why. <laughs> Go for it. Okay, well, um, yeah, so inspiration. That's something that uh, I always struggled with. Even when I was really young, I think I misunderstood um, inspiration in a way. I thought that I only could create when I was inspired. Mm-hmm. And so, like, part of me was like, oh, if I'm not inspired, well, then my work wouldn't be the same, right? It's like that aha moment, that inspiration. Yeah. So I read a lot of books <laughs> on it. And I read, like, uh, Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert, um, The Art of War, which is, like, breakthrough blocks. And I also took a creative process um uh, class in university 
And all of those things really made me change my perspective on inspiration in general. Why do you think though? Why do you think that you might have thought that? Where do where do you think it stems from? I don't know. Maybe maybe that unrealistic expectation that I see in movies mm-hmm. and like television. And I mean, around in my vicinity, no one was really producing art in the way that I wanted to. And so I kind of not necessarily mirrored, but I that's what I expected it to be. Like this really like magical, like this one moment that was really magical and everything like falls into place. And that's what I thought inspiration was. And without that, I didn't really think that, you know, being artistic was really being an artist without that sort of inspiration, which now I know is false, obviously. <laughs> I, I mean, I totally, I totally understand what you're talking about because I think you're absolutely right. There's like this romanticized mm. idea of an artist uh, setting up his easel in, in the meadow and painting. <laughs> like we all think that we're freaking Monet here, you know? Like <laughs> it, It's so... It's so crazy to think that that's what we think that today's artist is doing and that all artists should be working that way. Like, But then again, I do think inspiration does have a je ne sais quoi. I don't mm. think that it's useless, you know? No, absolutely not. I think that inspiration is still necessary. But there are ways to get inspiration like there are active things that you can be doing uh, mm-hmm. to have to be inspired. It's just about the outlook and the way that you're going about. It. And that's what I learned through the books, through the class that I took about the creative process. It's mm-hmm. not it's not this singular aha moment. Of course, there are some and it's fantastic when you do get those. They're really fun. Yeah. But you need to like send into motion in a way. And there's certain things for certain people. So I mean, not everyone will have the same uh, relationship with their creative process and their aha moments or their inspiration. Yeah. You know, like for you and for me, it might be totally different. Oh, absolutely. And and like that's in everything in life. Like you can't, you can't compare one another. But what, what would... Like, what do you do to go look for that inspiration, like you were saying earlier? Yeah, so in my creative process class, I had to actually write a manifesto. Mm-hmm. So I was, I, I changed it over time. And I, I it's still evolving every day, but there are certain things I'll do. Like, if I feel, like, wound up, well, I'll go take a walk. Um, I'll listen to maybe a certain podcast or I'll listen to certain music to put me in a, in a different type of mood or mm-hmm. I'll do some yoga or some meditation or some reading depending on what I'm working on or maybe okay. it doesn't have to do anything with what I'm working on but it, it's just to change um, my ideas and it sparks mm-hmm. new ones you know okay so you you get it mostly from like uh, it's not like a visual stimuli basically on what you're saying well, I do get visual stimuli and I, I will be like looking at that as well. But I think it's less that and more about mentally, like, how can I say it? Like getting an idea and 
because I, I draw inspiration from, let's say, a topic. So let's say I want to do, mm -hmm. like I, I did one, it was called In Your Vortex. And that has to do a lot, of, a lot about the books that I'm reading. It's about, you know, like manifestation and, and, and all that and, you know, your mindset. So I really drew inspiration from that, although it's a very visual piece of art. Mm -hmm. I had that from an idea and from what I was reading and I was envisioning myself in my own vortex and I drew that. Okay. So yeah. you're, you're creating... Like what I mean is you're not looking at anything visual. You're creating visuals through the help of like reading and uh, audio and whatnot. Yes, mostly. I do okay. look at visual as well. Like, but I, I try to stay away from it when I'm creating because I don't want it to affect my art. You don't want it. Yeah. You don't want it to, to influence you too much. Exactly. Like I'll look at it, but not what I'm creating. Like maybe on my past okay. time, I'll, I'll I'll browse, but really, right before I create, I try to avoid looking at other people's artwork because I want to not be influenced by their perspective necessarily. Mm -hmm. I think that's super interesting. Um, like, cause I have a completely different way of doing it. Like, for me, I'll go and look for visual stimuli. Not necessarily um, like artwork of others, but like for instance, right now I'm uh, right now I'm not in Montreal. I'm actually at the Bic uh, in the Bas Saint Laurent, so I'm in front of the the water right now, and it's just a a very different landscape, like so so different. It's a beach with a bunch of rocks, so I've been very ins inspired, funnily, about. Um, textures so not only am I looking at textures right now being here but I'm looking up textures so I'll go online and I'll look at different textures and I'll keep them and I'll save them as like kind of like a a, a bank of different images that I can refer to in in the future you know mm. I think I think that that's a really interesting way but the thing is that we our artistic approach is very different as well and you oh, totally. like kind of deconstruct it. Mm -hmm. So like the fact is that you're looking at an object, but you're looking at its texture. Yeah, exactly. See, where I'm looking at it at, at the whole. Yeah. And so that I think that's why you using more visual stimuli makes more sense for your artistic practice. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And and the fact that you're you're at the big. Is that am I saying that right? Big? Yeah, that's how yeah. you're saying it, right? Yeah. Just making sure. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're at the big. Uh, it's beautiful. Honestly, yeah. that 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 is inspiring as well. Is getting into nature and just. I mean, today is raining, and I, I mean, I've been trying to sit outside the whole day just because the sound of the rain. Yes. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. so inspiring. A hundred percent. And but that's the thing. And like, I completely agree with you, as you were saying at the beginning, like working, you don't need, you cannot just be an artist solely based on inspiration. And I think that uh, especially people who didn't like, I didn't grow up with a family that was necessarily artistic. 
So everyone talked about this mystical inspiration, you know, that apparently I had all the time. Mm-hmm. Yes, I had a very fertile, uh, uh, well, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? Not memory, but um, imagination. I had a lot of imagination. Thank you. Uh, I had a lot of imagination. But aside from that, like, I don't think it's inspiration necessarily. And the further you move towards a career, like the more you need to work at it. Mm-hmm. And I totally agree with you. Like it needs to be more of like a practice that you kind of do every day. And the artists that I do know that really do um, live off of their career are artists that work at it every day. And even if they just do one brushstroke in the day, at least they went to the studio or in their house in the area that they paint in and they worked on it you know yeah and I I think it goes for any sort of medium in the creative arts like absolutely like writing as well like when I was Mm -hmm. writing a lot well I was looking up you know how different writers would write every day and like they would say like minimum 500 let's say one person minimum 500 words a day so Mm -hmm. depending on on what you're doing do something that's in regard to your practice a little bit every single day. Obviously, some days you have to work harder than others. But even if you don't feel like it, you should still do something to honor your creative process. Of course, because even if you go there and you're just staring at it, the fact that you're taking time out of your schedule just to think about that project, you are inevitably going to think a little further in your thought process and in your creation process. So it's super important to do that. I have a question now that I think about it because... Go ahead. <laughs> go, Daniela. Go. So I guess I know this This is definitely something that I do, but I'm not sure if it's something that you do because you paint more than I do. I'm, I'm dabbling in a, different, a few other different things, but my paintings, when there's something that is not working sometimes I'll put a painting aside for like a while and start something new and then come back to that painting what do you what Mm -hmm. is your take on that oh I I completely agree with that for me it's not I mean it's a little that's a little bit what I do when I start a painting I often am doing more than one at a time Mm. Uh, just so I can move back and forth from one to the other but that being said, I'm an abstract artist. So I've met a lot of like like hyper-realist artists mm. and they'll work on one painting, you know, because it's so detailed that it's like almost inevitable for them to only work on that. But for, for me, where like a broad brushstroke, if I do it and it doesn't work, mm. it kind of destroys the painting. Like it... It is like it depends what I want to do. But if I like right now I'm painting on wood while I'm here. And uh, if I want to retain the wood in the back, I can't mess up because I can't necessarily go over it. You know? Yeah, you can't really overwork the section. Whereas someone who's doing hyper realism or a portrait, well, they can go over that section multiple times and it wouldn't make that much of a difference if they have to change something. Yeah, I mean, it's more forgiving to a certain degree. Yes, exactly, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So so 
for me, it is much better to have like a little, like I often have paper around and I'll work on smaller works Mm. that are, for instance, like watercolors and whatnot. So I'll work on those works. And and in the meantime, maybe one part of my painting is drawing. So I'm still looking at it. I'm trying to assimilate it. And then I'll move to the next thing, you know? Yeah, definitely. Like, uh, I I understand because I've done abstract as well. Like, and one brushstroke can totally set you off. So you have to be able to take the time to look at it. Oh, absolutely. Completely. And... You know, uh, I was thinking about that. I'm just going to let my dog is walking near me, so I'll let him walk by. Mm -hmm. All right. So I was thinking about that because you were saying that you listen to a lot of things and and that's how you visualize things, essentially. Yeah. Instead of going to look for visual aids. And um, that's really interesting to me because I kind of wonder at the same time, like I grew up uh, with a learning disability and uh, being dyslexic, it kind of forced me. Well, it didn't force me. That's just how I saw the world. Like, I always saw the world in a visual way. Um, words and, and letters and writing, it just didn't make much sense to me. So for me, colors and textures and shapes were always uh, almost more descriptive of a place. And odors mm. and sounds to a certain degree we're more descriptive of a place than words were. So I think that's why throughout my practice, I've used audio, I've used, I would like to use odor at one point. Um, and uh, I've, al- like, I've always used kind of shapes and textures, like more of an abstract way, because that's how I, I view the world, you know? Yeah, I think, and I think that really shows in your work as well. Mm-hmm. because of the colors and I, I'm, I'm a big fan of you know color choice I think colors are so important and it tells like half of the story for you but yours is the leading story like, oh well goodness thank you Danielle well it's true it's true because you're telling a story with the colors and the texture you're you're reducing it to you know uh the essentials of it which I find very interesting I, I love mm-hmm. looking at your work. I absolutely love abstract, although it's not the thing I do the most. I am a big, big fan of abstract art, and I think you could get a lot from it. Although I know that some people, uh, people either like it or they don't. Yeah. Yeah, they either like abstract art or they don't, and vice versa. They either really like abstract and they don't like illustrative work, but that all comes down after to a personal preference. And that and that to me, I find is really interesting in this conversation, because if you understand a little bit of the the artist's background, I think you can kind of find an appreciation for the work, whether it is illustrative or realism or abstraction, because whether you like it or not, it will tell the way you work will tell a bit the story of how you came to it as an artist. So I think I, I honestly believe that the story of the artist kind of may oh, it's such a hard thing. I'm I'm trying I'm right now. I'm saying a thousand things at once. But I do think because I love listening to the stories of the artists and finding out a bit about the artists. 
But that shouldn't change my idea of their concept and of their work. And I do understand that. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, who they are as a person is, whether we like it or not, a representation of how they work. Absolutely. To a degree, you know? So it to me, it, it is super interesting to find out, like, okay, well, Diana is, is dyslexic, so... Yeah, so she always enjoyed more shapes and blah, blah, blah. So that's why she does abstraction. And I think that a person knowing these things can go into a gallery looking at my work or a body of work and better understand what I've done and kind of fall into that world with me, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Actually, there was something that I I marked over here in the book, um, Big Magic by uh, Elizabeth Gilbert. She she writes about the teachers, people. Who, oh, really? Yeah, she writes about our teachers, right? So, you like that we want to study under the great teachers. So, in in essence, what she's saying is that you can find them anywhere. They don't even have to be alive. You could go to the museum and you could study their work as if as if they're there with you by looking at their background, by seeing how they they came to be and looking at their brushstroke, you can, in essence, find all of these artists that, you know, you um, admire and you learn their, what they're, where they're coming from. And, you know, maybe the way they use color, maybe you're, you're very interested in the way that they're using color. So you're studying that. And then you're taking something from another artist and you're like, okay, well, I really like the way that they use I don't know, perspective, the way that they use their perspective, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And she's saying that and that's part of what you do, right? Like you go and look for those visual cues. Mm-hmm. And I look at it in a different way. I, I find my teachers through books, through, you know, podcasts, and as well as visual aids. But we look at our teachers and we study on our own in order to, to bring it back into our artwork. And that becomes our own inspiration we inspire ourselves. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that, that is absolutely true. And again, it's it, to an extent, it's kind of like visual aids, especially when, if you're going to like a gallery and you're, and you're studying these, um, these different practices from various artists, you know? Um, but what I wanted to know, Daniela, yeah. is if you were to uh, numerize like, or even set a schedule to develop a good practice, what would it be? Okay, are you are you saying this for someone who has all the time in the world, like I do in quarantine, or with someone with a work schedule currently? <laughs> okay, let's say <laughs> Okay, um, let's say more realistic to a certain degree. Okay. Like what would what would you on a regular schedule want to aspire to do to continue production and to mm-hmm. continue your uh your progression and your evolution, you know? Well, you know, I I'm, I'm returning back to work in September. And mm-hmm. so I've already thought about this because I really focus on getting my artistic practice back solid that I'm working every single day on my artwork mm-hmm. and you know I'm going to be working like basically a nine-to-five job so I decided that at least minimum three times a week that I will engage at least in over two hours 
of work a night, three times a week. And if not four, if I can, depending on the week, I mean, you know, we have crazy lives at times. Yeah. But let's say I'm not doing something in regards to actually doing artwork. Well, I maybe sketch for like an hour, one night here, and then maybe read a book or, or watch tutorial, or I mean, do a bit of research like those other nights. So, so I could ascend- Sorry, essentially, yeah. you would work on it every night to a certain degree. Yes, and and I would I would make it vary, you know, like depend on the week. Well, I'll block out time. The the best thing to do is to actually block out the time. My planner is my life, and mm-hmm. I have to physically. If I don't physically write something down, I feel like it's not concrete, mm-hmm. and then it becomes lost in my thoughts. Because I, I I overthink quite a bit, so I need to be able to actually write physically write it down and saying, okay, well I'm doing this. I have I am meeting Diane on this at this time on this night. So this is what I'm doing that night. And by actually integrating it into my schedule, well, it becomes it's very easy because it's to me I'm looking at it as almost as if it's set in stone. Mm-hmm. And that's what I did in university as well. For me to meet deadlines and I would yeah. give myself false deadlines. That's really that that's pretty like that's a great way of working essentially. And and I think that everyone should try and do that. And it's uh it's it's the only thing that I wonder because you're talking I understand your schedule because I live yeah. the same thing, right? So yeah. essentially like we're crazy working like crazy, like I've already started working. Yeah. So it's like at the end of the day you're kind of tired and and it's it's really hard to actually do something like create actually do an artwork you know yeah so I completely agree with you whether whether I am tired or not every week like every single day I will go online and I'll go on my on the on the on procreate on my ipad and I'll sketch that's almost every single day And for me, that's like the most important thing for me to do, because if I worked all day and and I'm painting, it's not like I'm not doing anything artistic, but I'm doing murals in Montreal. So it's just not my own project. So I'll come home and I'll sketch and I'll make sure that I'm doing that in my habit and I'll, I'll do a little bit of research and whatnot. But that being said, every Monday without a fault. Mm-hmm. I go to my studio and I paint all day. And if I can do it more than the Monday, I, I would love to do it Saturday and Sunday and Monday. But if I do it only Monday, that's fine. But that's that day that I put in my schedule that I cannot miss. You know? Yeah. Well, and, and honestly, like, and I'm aware of that, actually. <laughs> you know, when we talk, I you're like, okay, well, Mondays are the days that I go to the studio. And I'm like, okay, perfectly fine. We'll work around your schedule. Mm-hmm. And because you put it in the schedule and you're like, well, this is, I have to do it. Like you, you're putting, this is work, right? It's not this. Yeah. It's work, but to you, it's also an enjoyment, obviously. Well, obviously. Obviously. <laughs> but but it's, it's work. Yeah. But, but, but you have to put the hard work in. And, and that's like the, the whole topic, right? It's that inspiration versus hard work. Yeah. And I really learned that in university, 
I mean, when we were in, well, so I don't know if we even mentioned this, but uh, we both graduated from art education at Concordia. Mm -hmm. uh, she graduated from the community, if you understand what uh, a bit of the program, and I graduated from specialization and community. And I'm glad that I did the community one because they focused more on not just being a teacher, but your artistic practice and how important it is for you to actually continue your artistic practice despite everything that's going on around you. Yeah, 100% because essentially when you're working as when you're working on it as an educator in the community, you're usually invited as an artist. So if you don't have an artistic practice, you won't have a lot of work. Mm, exactly. Like, very honestly, you won't. But as if you want to be like an, a teacher in a school, that's very different because you really are viewed as an educator first and an artist second. Absolutely. I'm, re I'm really glad that I did both because I was actually able to see which one I preferred. And I, although I love teaching, I feel first like an artist okay. and then a teacher. Whereas before, yeah, whereas before I felt, I don't know if I broke up before, but it's okay. I don't, before I felt more like a teacher and then an artist. And, and that shifted that shifted when I took community and it shifted even more after my first contract oh, yeah. in the school. And, and I saw what it was and I'm, and I love my students and I love teaching and I love inspiring others to do, you know, to be creative. It's something I really am passionate about as well. But uh, first and foremost, I am an artist and, and that I give mm. to community. Mm -hmm. the community program. and you know what's kind of uh what I find that's kind of ironic is and I'm, I'm the same way I love to inspire on a daily basis which is what uh, a teacher does but we were just saying how inspiration yeah. sure it's important but it's not as important as hard work but as a teacher you, you work on it yes. every day with your students, you know, which is kind of funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I, I, my, some of my students, and whenever someone tells me, uh, oh, I wish I could draw like that, you know, or I can't do it. I'm like, I always, I always turn it back around. And I said, well, you know, for those that are older and, and they pursued other things, I'll tell them, well, you actually can be an artist. It's just about the amount of work you're willing to put in. And for my students, when they tell me I can't, I'm like, well, that's because you're resisting. You're actually stopping yourself from doing what you're supposed to, which is one of the things that um, in one of the books that I've, I've read, it's called, you know, The Art of War. And it talks through, uh, you know, your creative blocks and your, your battles and resistance yeah. is, is a big one. Mm -hmm. For a lot of people. Oh, okay. <laughs> yes. I'm I thought, did you hear me <laughs> my comment as, yeah, same. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did. <laughs> um, my my, other, thinking, my yeah. other thing that I want to say, because I want to confess something, because, you know, we do here, right? So there is something, like, mm -hmm. yes. I do find, if I haven't had time 
to myself to really get myself out of my, not my rut, but like my habits and my usual kind of environment, I do tend to start to not be as, not as productive, but maybe I lack an imagination to a certain degree. Like it does, it is important for me to go out and kind of do something, see something different to be able to create again, you know? You know what? I I definitely understand that. I that's why I'm saying like you ha- I, I actually we spoke about this in in uh, to each other a few times that I'll go out of my way and try to experience anything oh as God, if I've yes, seen it for right. the first mm-hmm. time. I mean, I felt that at, at one point or another. Oh, for sure, multiple times. Yes, <laughs> I, I've, yes. I've spoken to you about this before and some, and I, I've done this since I was a child. Sometimes I would look at a tree and I'd, I'd look at the tree for like 10 minutes and I'll look at the leaves. Like right now I'm looking out my window and, and I've been looking at these leaves just like moving in the wind. And sometimes I'll decide, I'm like, okay, let's go. I'll go to another area to go for a walk and I'll take pictures and I'll start to feel inspired by whatever's Mm -hmm. around me because right now we're in quarantine anyways so i mean we have to be a bit more careful about the way that we're going about it for new experiences yeah so but but there are still things that we can do you know we can get out of our comfort zone we can go out and go for a walk and experience new areas like i went to uh and i love walking Mm. around papinoville it's my favorite spot to go walk because there's a, there's a space where there's nature. Uh, you'll see the rush of water. You'll see, you know, uh, people join together or you'll see like these really random spots that kind of look mm-hmm. like abandoned and there's like a bridge and there's water. Anyways, those are things that inspire me. Even those very uh, minute things that people might take for granted and then would maybe overlook, I try to sit there and really pay attention to the moment and feel the moment and get inspired from, you know, the energy and nature yeah. around me. I completely agree with you. And and you're absolutely right. I think that's like the number one thing to do. And even, it, it's funny to say, but even to, um, to even walk in your city and to take pictures of things, maybe things that you find beautiful, things that you find maybe even mundane, and to go into your uh, edit, like your your photo and your editing inside your cell phone, and just like put it in symmetry mm-hmm. or flip it over, and you can start seeing things. You know, if you need that extra little push to kind of visualize things, I find that's a really interesting way to kind of develop that imagination and and start those uh, those creative juices flowing. You know. Absolutely. You know what? I'll I'll say a little confession as well. You just sparked (laughs) a confession in me. (laughs) So so when I was about 14 years old, my family got Mm -hmm. their first digital camera. First of all, when I I went to Best Buy, 
to help my parents choose the camera. I did so much research on it. I was talking about the megapixels. I was looking at everything. You know, you really have to like decide what we're a, buying because it was it was a big the first purchase. digital camera. Yeah, it was a big purchase, and I was like, if my parents are gonna have this, well, I'm gonna I'm going to be using it all the time. So I need to know that it's gonna be of good quality. So I would. My parents like, oh, you know, it's for special occasions. I would take the camera and I would just start taking pictures of like the chair in my house. Like I would take pictures of chairs, like in the shadow. Uh, I would start playing with lights. Uh, I would put the lights on. I'd put it in black and white to look at the contrast of it. And I would just like mess around and take pictures. I'd take pictures of like my coffee on the table. I try to look at and make it like really stylized or make it look as if it's that's the artwork. But it was so mundane. And I thought it was, I'm like, but what is a chair? And I started to become <laughs> philosophical about it. And so, I was like, yeah, I was really oh an God, odd Daniela, child. You <laughs> were the most life. interesting child I've ever heard of. <laughs> I was a really odd child. I, I spent a lot of time alone. So I would have I would have a lot of these type of questions. And I would use art to kind of like question that. And I'd be like, okay, well, what does this light do to the chair? But then what is the chair? And like, how did the chair come to be? And then, you know, I'm like there making up stories in my mind. And that's how I find inspiration. Listen, I think these are the greatest things that you can do, essentially. And your inspiration is what you have around you and what you're able to construct of it in your head. So it, it really mm -hmm. is on you. And obviously, like, I'm not going to lie. I've even had a professor that was writing his dissertation on uh, the fact of um, when you are depressed, you are more inspired and you create your best work. And I do think that is true mm -hmm. on a very different level. But if that's the only mm -hmm. way that you're going to create, you can't be necessarily a successful artist. It's like, a sh that's like a shot in a million, you know? So it's, it's such an important mm. thing to kind of combine both. And like we've said throughout the podcast, if you can work a little bit on it throughout the week and, and continue sketching, but kind of book one day minimum to just work on your, on your artwork and whatnot, that is the most important thing you can do because inspiration, you can find it. That's the number one thing you should teach yourself to do. But you need to work on it to keep building your ideas. Absolutely. Like, like, like you, you just said, I, I agree 100% that we're, we need to still work at it because essentially inspiration is around us. But what your professor said, the dissertation about being depressed is, is unrealistic. For you to actually be be an artist in in this respect, if not, usually what happens is that you become, let's say, quote unquote, yeah. famous or known for your work once you're dead. I mean, like a lot of a lot of the artists that we idolize, like let's say Frida Kahlo did have some, but she had a very Van Gogh. He, he cut off his ear. I mean, yeah, I don't think a happy person would do that. Wait. Oh my God. <laughs> No, but you know what the worst part of Van Gogh was is, yes, he was depressed, but he was feeling, um, he, he was like, 
I don't think it's drugs. I, I, I'm going to fact check this. But um, Van Gogh was taking like medication. He was getting medicated at one point, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and uh, mm. he continued working. Like he continued producing. So I, I'm sure, you know, company meets misery. Maybe that's why he was doing as many portraits during that time. But I, I don't think that it's mm. necessarily... Like I said, you can probably do a great body of work while you're miserable, but you need to keep it up. And I think a lot of artists, that's what they do. They, yeah. they made amazing work, like Frida Kahlo when she was um, paralyzed. She had done a lot of works, right? And they were fantastic. And when she, when yeah. she wasn't able to uh, give birth and she had a lot of her miscarriages, she made some of her most amazing work. Um, but that being said, she always produced and most of her work was fantastic. Yes, and, and that's the thing is that artists shouldn't uh, take it as a crutch that you have to be depressed to create work. Actually, that's how I first yes, started exactly. creating work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was a way to cope with, with those emotions. And then over time, like when my life was, you know, shifting, then I had to find new ways to get, get inspired. And that's where I think that that's where I'm at in my inspiration. And that's where all the books came in. And that idealized notion of inspiration and, and an artist, like, kind of, like, fell through. And I'm like, okay, well, an artist can look like many different things. An artist can look like a single mother. An artist can look like um, a family of five. An artist can look like Oh, my God, you're absolutely right. Oh, my... Imagine if we all had to be depressed to create, we would all die at 27, like the greats. That's ridiculous, you know? <laughs> like, yeah, that's, that's exactly well, it. Well, uh, right? listen, I think that's a good wrap up. I think we've done a fantastic job here of talking about the different ways that you need to upkeep your practice and that, yes, inspiration is a fantastic tool, but perseverance and hard work and just diligence throughout your practice is really the, mo- the best thing that you can do. Yes, and Absolutely. consistency, let's not Absolutely. forget. So on that, Daniela, I will continue looking at this gorgeous view that I will send a picture of so we can post it. And I hope that it inspires a few of our viewers and listeners. All right. Awesome. So, your night. night. Bye. Hey everyone, so it's Diane. I'm just here to do a little fact check because uh, during the podcast at one point we were talking about how uh, I had a professor that was talking about being depressed and how depression was a fantastic way to be inspired for your work and we were kind of debunking that and saying that it wasn't necessarily important. Uh, That being said, we talked about Van Gogh in that moment because Van Gogh really did suffer with depression. And I said, well, I do believe at one point he was getting, he was, uh, he was already diagnosed, was consulting a therapist and taking medication. And during that time, he made the most beautiful portraits of his career. So just to hone in on that, to make sure that I wasn't uh, just saying a bunch of bullshit to y'all. So I'm going to read this real quickly for you guys. So Van Gogh, if you didn't know, he had epilepsy and that epilepsy was one of the reasons that he often um, had that yellow that he would see uh, through, that you would see through his like starry nights and his yellow became super, super important. 
also it was kind of a pigment like ochre yellow was kind of an easy pigment to find um that being said to treat uh like to kind of self-soothe he drank a lot of absinthe and there is a component in absinthe called um thugin and it's the toxin in the absinthe and unfortunately that worked against um against van gogh's problems and would make his epilepsy and manic depression even stronger so throughout uh the end of his life to kind of especially counteract his epilepsy he started taking um digitalis which is extracted from foxglove plants and uh it was a powerful medicine still used today uh to treat certain heart conditions but not necessarily epilepsy so we don't know if that necessarily helped him in a certain way but he was consulting a therapist that we see in a couple of his paintings so i hope that that fact checks it for everyone um i hope you enjoyed this podcast i think it was a really interesting one and hope to talk to everyone pretty soon have a great evening everyone bye